Like it or not, the coronavirus is not just making headlines around the world, it's actually shutting football down in some parts of the world. Hey everyone, this is Rev Brad, and you're listening to From the Touchline. At the time of our recording, the Serie A, Italy's top league, was meeting to discuss suspending games and league play for about a month until the threat of outbreak lessens. And as the virus continues to infect more and more people around the world, it seems just a matter of time until it has impacted football in other countries and other leagues. But football governing bodies aside, what should one do? Well, stay tuned. We'll talk more. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. Hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! Well, truth be told, my own family has seen a bit of the impact of the coronavirus, even here in Colorado. On a recent trip to the store, we were looking for paper towels and toilet paper. They were nowhere to be found. Literally, the store was sold out. People had come in a few days earlier and had really bought up the whole store uh, and purchased in bulk quantities. So the ongoing conversations with my wife have been, how do we respond to this? How do we respond during these times? And I think it's all well and good sometimes to listen to the advice and counsel of experts. But if you watch the news stories, if you see what's going on, you'll, you'll see kind of the spectrum of response from people. And we've even been talking to some of our friends and family. What, what do things look like? What, how should we respond during these times? Well, those things are good, but I want to examine more closely what God and His Word says about things like the coronavirus and other similar issues that seem to afflict the world with increasing frequency and a greater effect. One of the things that kind of springboarded this discussion in my own mind, uh, someone asked me a question recently and they said, are things like the coronavirus talked about in the Bible, are they the things that happen in the end times in Revelation? Well, the simple answer to that is yes. Things like the coronavirus, Ebola, the plague, other diseases, viruses, outbreaks, those are all mentioned. Not specifically by name, but they're referred to, and depending on one's Bible translation, it either may say that uh, disease or death, plague or pestilence or some other word like that, uh, is going to be part of what goes on and what happens at the end of times. One such reference is found in Revelation 6-8. The Apostle John is virtually living out a vision of what the end of days will look like, and he writes this, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and, the ha- and Hades, the grave, was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. That's from the NIV translation. Now, I don't know how the Apostle John spent out his last days of life after seeing all these visions, other than the fact he saw a triumphal finish. And as much as I'd love to, there's not really enough time within this podcast to do a deep dive into the book of Revelation or even this verse. But suffice it to say that there's a lot to learn and a lot to discern within the book and within uh, some of the other things when we study Revelation or other points of apocalyptic writings in Scripture. Uh, One of those things is we really have to read with the whole scope of the Bible in mind. 
if you just center in on all the bad stuff, the chaos, the earthquakes, the famine, the, the wars, the pestilence, and you don't get to the end where there's uh, the, the triumph of God in the end, uh, you'll end up living life depressed and you'll throw away religion because you'll think it's worthless. Uh, to illustrate this a little bit, I want to jump to the Gospel of Matthew. And so, for example, if you're reading Revelation 6-8, you can't read that without also reading uh, some of the parts of Matthew and John. You, you, have, you have to read it all together. And specifically, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has this interaction with his disciples. And in it, I think it really gives Christians uh, some important instructions for understanding these critical coronavirus moments of life, if you will. So allow me a little bit of a lengthier reading here. This is Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. He responded, Do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's a striking conversation, I think. And I've just read a a few verses out of Matthew 24 there. It's a striking conversation that Jesus has with his best friends because they come to him and they're worried. They're worried because they're looking at the magnificent temple. And Jesus just said, look look at this thing. It is great and grand, but I tell you, it won't even be left standing here. There's not going to be one stone left on top of another. And Jesus was prophesying and predicting what was going to happen in AD 70 when uh, essentially Rome just ruined Jerusalem and the temple was, was raised. It was totally destroyed. So the disciples hear these things from Jesus and they're freaking out. They're weird. They're, they're, they're weirded out. They're like, when's this going to happen? And oh, by the way, what else is going to happen to the, at the end of the age? And Jesus goes on to give some of these descriptors. But notice what Jesus says at several points. He, he says, don't be alarmed. Hey, this is only the beginning. Like, don't freak out. Don't be afraid. The other night, as my family and I had devotions around the dinner table, I shared with my girls that, you know, we can sometimes place ourselves into a number of different response modes when something like the coronavirus comes along. And it could be a number of other things as well. It could be an earthquake, a war, drought, something else. Just to kind of sum it up or or put it into a few modes, uh, there's a mode of panic, I think, that someone can get into. There's also a mode of preparedness. 
uh, and, and a mode of negligence. I want to talk about each, each of these real quick. At the one end of the response spectrum, we see that there's panic. When an outbreak or global crisis occurs, a lot of people respond with panic. And, and we hear these counter messages, whether from governments or other agencies that say, don't panic, because typically panic causes greater destruction and pain. Now, when I say that, you know, there's a response of panic, I'm not talking about uh, running from a, a, a tsunami wave or something like that. I'm not, that's, that's wisdom. That's like running. Um, but there's something else when, uh, when that panic um, stirs up deep, deep fear within someone. There's, and there's different levels of panic, right? There's, uh, for some, uh, violence is a default. Or there's a, there's a sense of scarcity that develops. And so people start to hoard or store up supplies. You know, I mentioned earlier, going to the store, seeing the shelves emptied of basic things like toilet paper and, and certain food staples. I have some friends that live in Portland, and they were talking about pasta. There was no pasta on the shelves. Uh, foods that don't go bad, right? People are, are taking them for themselves and stocking up. It's funny here in Colorado, whenever there's a big snowstorm announced, uh, we all joke like, hey, we need to run out to the store and get milk and and all these things because uh, people love a storm here in Colorado and they stock up as though, you know, we'll be snowed in for days, which usually isn't the case. Well, you might think of a large catastrophe or event that's happened near you or to you, and you can probably think of some examples of panic. At the other end of the response spectrum, though, there's the response of negligence. Here, really, people have a lax attitude or a lazy approach to things that are going on in the world. Most of them assume everything will carry on as before. And maybe it's because they've not lived through or gone through a difficult time or hardship. And maybe it's simple naivety. Uh, A friend of mine said that uh, some neighbors near her kind of think that they can just order anything on Amazon and it'll show up. So coronavirus or whatever the outbreak is, they're not worried because they'll have it delivered right to their door, whatever they need. A third position is a middling position, and it's bordered on either side by panic and negligence, and it's what I call a state of preparedness or a response of preparedness. Being prepared is is more a balance between panic and negligence. And admittedly, there's a spectrum even within the position of preparedness, right? There can be extremes where people over-prepare, and we might be thinking, hey, you know what, you, you look calm, but I think inside there might be a little bit of panic. Um, there can also be a sense in which people kind of just escape a situation just barely. And that might indicate that they've dwelt a long time in the negligence area before they actually acted or moved. I, I kind of felt that a little bit walking into the store like, oh man, did we wait too long to get toilet paper because we really need it this week? But regardless of what position anyone finds themselves in during a local or global type of crisis, there's a fourth way that Jesus followers, that Christians, need to understand and strive to find themselves in, and that is in a state of peacefulness. A state of peacefulness. So, you know, there's a state of panic, right? There's a state of negligence. There's a state of preparedness. Well, this is a fourth way a way that I think transcends all of those ways. It's a state of peacefulness. What do I mean by that? Well, to use the example again, when I walked into the store and saw no toilet paper, I had a moment of panic. I realized that perhaps I had been a little bit negligent with the news of the coronavirus, understanding the impact that such news might have on supply chains and these kinds of things. You know, in the years since 9-11, I remember that, but I think I've forgotten how the world felt 
in crisis during those hours and days, weeks and months just following. And perhaps for me, there's been this growing sense of comfort. And it's been a while since I've gone through something that kind of was close to shaking me or shaking the people that I've known. And so I think this is true for any of us, whether we're closer to or further from an epicenter of a storm or a crisis, we feel the effects almost like a riptide or a ripple effect. But Jesus calls his people to live in such a way that our trust is in him. And when our trust is in him, there's a profound sense of peace that the Christian believer dwells in. You know, around the same time that Matthew records this conversation in Matthew 24 with Jesus and his disciples, John also records a bit of of a message in the same words that Jesus given to his followers. And and they've been having angst and questions around, you know, what's going to happen in the end? How are things going to turn out? You can read more about it in John 16, but I just want to show, I just want to share this, this powerful verse that comes at the end of chapter 16 in John, in the gospel of John. And John records a powerful message from Jesus to his friends. Jesus says to them, I have told you all these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus seems to know and understand something. It, it takes us all a while to get it, that we need to lean on and trust and depend on him. We need to discover that he is our true source of peace. But how does this come about? You know, it's one thing to give mental assent to this. It's one thing to say, oh, Jesus is my peace. I'll find my peace in Jesus. Um, I'll find my peace in, in my faith in God. But how are we able to live and dwell in peace truly? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some instruction from his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, 4 through 9, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And there's a lot within this passage, but just to point out a few things. You know, the first thing is we find joy in the Lord, no matter the circumstances. Back in the Matthew passage, Matthew 24, Jesus points out that even in spite of all the trouble, an amazing thing's going to happen. The good news of God's kingdom is going to be known throughout the world. I I think, too, situations and circumstances ought not change us so drastically that it strips away all joy. That's why Paul says rejoice. Rejoice. Uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all. I think in any situation, in in a calamity, in a crisis, you know, who are the people of peace? They're the people with level heads that uh, move about and and are gentle and confident, and there's something different about them. Wouldn't you say that's true? I, I know that was true for from several of the stories that happened out of 9-11. They talked about certain chaplains and certain people that would go in and sit with uh, some of the first responders and some of the people that were um, trying to work to rescue people out of the rubble. And, and the sense of peace calmed them down and calmed their hearts down. 
Secondly, we see this thing that Paul mentions, and that's prayer, praying to God, talking to God, bringing him our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our needs. All of it is something we're invited into. And it's from this conversation with God that the peace of God will come on a person. Now, it's not your typical peace of mind that we get in the world. You know, you you buy a car, you get a warranty with you. It kind of helps you a little bit with your peace of mind, knowing that um, if something breaks, you can go get it fixed, at least for a time. No, no, it's not that kind of limited sense of peace. It's a peace that comes on someone, and it's a mysterious peace that helps us in the midst of panic and chaos. It guards our hearts and minds. It allows us to rest. It allows us to get sleep. It allows us to not toss and turn at night. It allows us to not freak out. And Paul goes on to kind of tell Christian believers that mindset and mentality has a lot to do with the ongoing effectiveness of God's peace. You know, you, you read what he says and he goes, hey, brothers and sisters, think on the true, the noble, the, the good things, the beautiful things. And if we're meditating on wrong or evil things, if we're focused on the negative, these things are going to interrupt or disrupt our ability to experience the peace and the peaceful presence of God. And here's the last thing that Paul mentions in that passage. It's a promise of God's presence. In the midst of whatever sea or storm or trial or challenge we're going through, whether it's local or global, the promise is that God's presence will be with us, that that God, the God of peace will be with us. He'll walk with us through those valleys, through those storms. Well, friend, there uh, has been and there will be more things that we face in our lifetime and in the times to come that will likely send our world into a state of shock and panic. Today it's the coronavirus, tomorrow will be something else. I want to encourage you to take an assessment of the condition of your faith. Is it such that no matter what state of preparedness you may or may not find yourself in, that you are centered in the peace of God? Not a fleeting or temporary sense of peace, but a deep abiding peace with Him. To close our time, I want to offer a blessing for peace out of Celtic Daily Prayer. It's a prayer that I pray every morning. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever He may send you. May He guide you through the wilderness. May He protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Rev. Brad, praying peace for you, coming to you from the Touchline.